So, welcome everyone. Is the uh, microphone working well? Can you hear me back there? Great. <clears throat> so this is our last formal talk, though not our last class on the Ten Paramis. It's been a year-long journey and adventure into these uh, qualities of presence. And uh, we will meet next week. Uh, I know it's close to Christmas for some of you, but uh, I think it res uh, is a nice resonant resonance with uh, the holidays to meet like this in quietude and stillness. But that's the true meaning of Christmas, is it not? Uh, the, uh, the willingness to be still with oneself. <clears throat> and so we're looking at uh, uh, different angles of stillness, different perceptions of stillness. That's what these paramis are, how they manifest. Because stillness isn't a dead thing. It's not without life. It is life itself. It's the very essence of life. Uh, we try uh, to persuade ourselves that life is in our thinking, in our uh, determination and ponderance, in our future uh, reflections, in our past regrets. <clears throat> but if you look where life is, not where it's dwelling, it crosses right at the X and Y axis, the zero point. And if the closer you get to that X and Y axis is really what these paramis are about. <clears throat> we stay kind of like a, a moth circling a flame, a little timid to actually singe its wings into the warmth of the flame itself. And we keep a safe diff distance from that x-axis and y-axis crossing. Uh, and we do that through our thinking. It just keeps us a little bit aloof from it all. <clears throat> and as we get quieter, as we're willing to get quieter, uh, we start feeling the warmth uh, and benefits of that zero point. Well, that zero point is really described by the ten paramis. And that's what we've been doing all year, is, is trying to make it safe enough for us to be willing to surrender into that zero point without having to think our way through the journey of our lives. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult journey uh, to come to that zero point, or it seems to be difficult because we seem to have to give up so much. <clears throat> but when we realize that life itself, the essence of life itself is in that moment, then something about the uh, resolution of the heart begins to pull us, like gravity, I suppose, in a black hole. It starts pulling inevitably towards that zero point because the closer to life we become, the more actualized we are within life, the more we become an abiding from life rather than reflecting upon. You see, it's all of, it starts springing forth in our veins, in our cells. And so when we are looking at these paramis, uh, they're not to be seen as something that we are uh, cultivating as we would other strengths and muscles that we have in our body, but they're really uh, an inclination towards discovery, towards looking, towards surrendering, towards the willingness to... to um, uh, to see what is blocking our roads to that zero point. And uh, we have talked, we've had one talk on the parami of equanimity, 
it should not be seen, and I want to caution us in seeing it as um, a safe haven for our mental difficulties and turbulences. Uh, I want to just be quiet and get into an equanimous state so that I won't have to feel anything. And many of us use that. In fact, meditation very subtly can pull us in that direction if that's our inclination towards a kind of a non-feeling state, a non-emotional state, just where we're sort of safely guarded uh, by our uh, distance from life and unfeeling towards life. Kind of an apathetic glow to life. And so I want to talk a little bit about that this evening, but I also want to talk about the qualities of of equanimity, or the, uh, how do I put it, the um, angles of equanimity. Uh, and as I, as we talk about the different ways to perceive equanimity, I also want to talk about trainings, uh, discoveries, uh, lines of inquiry that can lead to these particular qualities, these angles. <clears throat> so hopefully they'll give you something where you can... Uh, uh, direct yourself uh, towards that investigation, which opens the door towards equanimity. Equanimity uh, basically is a um, is a heart that doesn't move, that a, is a mind that is at rest with itself. And so we look at that and we say, oh, at rest with itself, it must be a mind that doesn't feel, because when I feel, I'm not at rest. And so we try to think our way into what equanimity, what it means to be equanimous, and so we try to achieve it. We, we make it a, a level or a space to achieve, and often, uh, I think, and poorly so, uh, our tradition has, uh, has held it out to be a kind of cultivation or a space that you can go in some ways. Uh, and so we have to break through all of the rubbish of that overlay of um, teaching and see what it really is. See what it really is. Because it just, I mean, just logically, and I often try to bring some spiritual logic because you have to, you have to apply spiritual logic in this business or pretty soon you'll be doing what a teacher says for you to do and it won't fit circumstantially what you think you ought to do or be in line with what you have been doing or even your intentions and directions of your practice. And unless we have some way to look at what we're doing in respect to that direction and intention that we have for ourselves, we'll go amiss, we'll go awry pretty quickly. Uh, so the spiritual logic, if, if you have to, if equanimity is a non-moving space, Right? A space of pure balance, a space of pure stillness. Then, if we are trying to cultivate something or uh, achieve it, we're already moving towards something, aren't we? So, here is a state that ultimately is at rest, and we are trying to achieve a state at rest by moving. See, the, the spiritual logic kind of gets faulty there, doesn't it? You think, wait a second now, please apply this because I, I really want to push your spiritual intelligence uh, 
and when you get, when you get that when you get a sense of how that spiritual intelligence unfolds, you won't be fooled. No matter what, who says what, or you can read a sutta or something, but it doesn't resonate. And God knows what happened to that sutta in its 2,500 years of verbal telling, but if somehow it doesn't resonate with you, I would just leave it alone. Don't try to fit yourself into a sutta that doesn't seem to claim reference to where you're, where you're going. So that's how I've always done it. I say, okay, so what equanimity by those very teachers is a state of balance, a state of absolute complete stillness, a state of, of, of um, non-turbulence, non-reactivity. So now I'm supposed to react to the state I'm in to achieve a state of non-reactivity. Okay, so it's dead stop. Okay, I've, I've been fooled. Wait a minute, F little flashes and bells go off here. Okay, so uh, I'm not moving away into a state to achieve a state. I'm going to stay with the state I'm in. I'm going to be absolutely dead still with the state I'm in and create space perhaps so that I won't be at the expense of the story that that state is telling me. So I have an emotion that's arising and I'm now trying to be equanimous with that emotion, which means I'm trying to move away from that emotion to some state that that emotion can't touch. And I say, wait a second now, that's not, it's not, it doesn't fit. It's either here or it's never. It's either now or never. It's either, I have to find that zero point regardless of circumstances and conditions. And so let me find it in the midst of whatever it is that I'm, trying to avoid or get over or get through to find my equanimity. And so I take that state on, full, full frontal embrace, you see? So okay, what moves is not mine. What moves is just the mind with its endless, with its endless impermanence, transition, change, so what, what doesn't move? Okay, there's anger, and if I get too close to that anger and I uh, start um, infusing and investing in the story of that anger, I'm going to move right along with the anger. So non-movement isn't going to be an abiding in the story of that anger. That's, that's movement itself. So as I get closer to the anger, I also begin to perceive that the story is a story of past and future. What I have done in the past and what somebody did to me that made me angry and what I'm going to do to them. And uh, so I begin to see that really what the story is doing is taking me out of the moment, taking me away from equanimity. So I give up the story. The story has no relationship to equanimity. So I... If I, my heart is set on finding equanimity, it won't be on future, futuring and pasting myself to it. You see how this works? It's okay. Then what is it? Well, now I have to enter the anger itself, the emotional embodiment of that anger, and see if it's safe, if it's safe to do. And I don't know that. It's a risk. Because what if I get in there and then I lose control and I become, you know, enraged and I start throwing things? 
I don't know what's going to happen when I come into that anger, but I notice that when I release the story, I don't seem quite as violently motivated. I don't seem quite as, I'm not, it's not, the energy isn't uh, creating a vengeance. And so I can see that actually as I release the words of the future and the past and I come into that presence of the anger, the embodiment of the feeling of anger itself, it really is quite safe. It's just an emotion. And I, I, I have perfect ability to feel this. If I can just create the space sufficiently to feel it rather than to react to it. And that space is the space of safety. When I'm afraid of reacting to it, I stay very much uh, entranced with it and afraid of it. And when it moves, I'm, I get all frightened. And, but when I can relax with it, actually there's space in that relaxation. And the space around the anger isn't moving. The anger's moving. But the space that holds the anger isn't moving at all. I say, wait a minute now. Maybe the space is equanimity. Not finding some safe place from the anger. But to get there, I had to prove to myself that the anger was harmless. You see? And so, all right. We just do that. We, we, set, we set a... A commitment for ourselves not to move from any state of mind. I'm not going to move in accordance with the state of mind. The state of mind is just a story that's infused with an emotional reaction about my life and the situations and circumstances of it. And I'm constantly moving from one parallel bar to another parallel bar as these states of mind keep dancing forth. Now, I can, at that, I, I know nothing but embodied states of mind. That's my life. That's what most people call their life. So what is now? What if I take this thing on seriously? Let me look at this thing. Okay, what happens? If I, what if I just make a commitment to myself that no state of mind is going to make me do it? Whatever it's telling me to do. Discontent, I have to be content. I'm unhappy, I have to be happy. I'm despairing, I have to be on and on and on. We kind of counter the states of mind with our actions against those states of mind or those states of mind grab us and make us compelling need to act those states of mind out. I don't want to live my life like that anymore. That's the first genuine movement, first step into true equanimity is the resolution of the heart to say no movement. Life can move all at once. I'm going to be the space that holds the movement. It doesn't mean that space, like the space that surrounds us in this moment, is not distant from life. In fact, it, it's as close as the skin on our body. So it's not a, like, let me flip the binoculars around so I can get a kind of a, a per, distant perspective to it. It's up close, up close and real, right here. It's at the zero point. How could it be any more distant from life when it is life? When it's right in there, in the middle of it, you see? In the, in the, 
in the hurricane that seems so destructive, the, uh, there is an I, not an I, an E-Y-E. <laughs> Don't look for your I. <laughs> look for your E-Y-E. Okay, so, okay, fair enough. No more running. That's the training for the first aspect, the first um, quality that I'm going to be pointing to tonight, which is non-movement. The training is no more running for mental states. So why not take that on? Say, okay, I'm, that sounds a little bit too consuming. Let me just take a mental state on. Just pick one out. Don't take the worst one like fear. Take one that's kind of mildly there, like irritation. You know, so next, okay, I'm, I'm irritated. I'm not moving. Why not? You see? Okay, I'm, that's it. Irritation is not going to move me. And then it, when you begin to feel the confidence of equanimity, because there's a confidence that comes in your ability to sustain stillness in the face of whatever the mind brings forth. As you challenge yourself more and more in this way, there will be nothing left out, I guarantee you. Because you, you say, well, I'm still moving in, I'm still moving when I get uh, that message or when that reaction comes or when this button is pushed. Now, finally, the final chapter, the big, the big test is parents, right? Or family. Because <laughs> they know really how to move us. They know how to stick it to us. So we, we sit there and they're doing their thing and then we feel the emotional reaction. Okay, I'm not going to move. I'm just not moving with this. It's a good one, especially over a holiday season. To give it a good try. All right, so that's a, that's that's really what the the art of surrendering is. We surrender. We don't surrender. It's not a position. Non movement isn't a position. I'm not moving. That's the way I'm framing it. But because just just for functional uh, communication, I have to frame it. But but it's not like I am not moving because that's just that's just building up a bigger sense of I that is not moving. It's what's the, there's no need to move. When something's harmless, when something is seen as genuinely harmless, you can relax with it. We relax ourselves out of the picture. It's like the, there's, the space doesn't need a posture in order to be a space. The space is a space by its nature. We are space by nature. We are space by nature. We have just formed a position within that space the position is our position of resistance to the different experiences we're having. That's our positionality within space. If we see that there's nothing in circumstantially or experientially that we need to hide or protect ourselves from, then we give up our position. When we give up our position, space becomes our ground. Isn't that interesting? Becomes our ground. When space becomes the ground, then everything that marches through space has no hold on space. Are you out there? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> if you'd like me to rewind and <laughs> go over this thing, but I think I am. Am, am I speaking right? So can you hear what I'm saying? You're not. I don't know if it's the holiday season or what. Maybe too much eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to keep going. Whether you're with me or not, that's up to you. <laughs> okay, here's, an, here's, another, here's another angle of equanimity. And again, I will give you a training that if, the, if this is something that you feel inclined towards, you say, well, yeah. Okay, what is non-movement? I want to, want to understand that aspect of equanimity called non-movement. Well, then Rodney's just given me a training to do that. I'm going to take on my mental states and try not to move and to relax with them, to make them safe, to see that they're harmless. And then within that, maybe I will understand what equanimity is. See? So as we go through these lists, see if there's a training you'd like to take on and incline yourself towards. So in the meditation practice, we have Genuinely, 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 something like that. We, um, we are taught, we say uh, in our instructions, uh, don't judge or condemn, just be with the experience. Now that really is an instruction towards equanimity. Just accept what's there. But a funny thing happens when we are not reacting to what is there, suddenly we don't have any opinions about what is there. And not only do we not have an opinion about it, now think about it, think for a moment, when you see something, there are subtle opinions that are weighing in the the, uh, currents or the waves may be very subtle, but there are little ripples of opinions and judgments that happen all along the way. So that's not the full story of non-judgment. Mostly what we apply are subtle judgments, kind of backhanded judgments. But when we can actually see things the way they are and and loosen our grip upon having things be the way they are, we settle into a non-judgmental ease and reference with with the way things are. And that's important because there's no positions then being taken on anything. When we're not judging, there's no positions. When there's no position, there's no me positioning. And when there's no me positioning, what is left is just the arising of experiences within consciousness. And there's a sense, and I mentioned this last time, a sense of perfection of that. There's, it's, it's, it's a sense of seeing things all things as arising in a kind of perfection, a perfect uh, imperfection. And uh, now that can lead to kind of an apathy, right? Because why do anything about anything if everything is perfect? And from that vantage point, you can really get a sense of the perfection of life and it's that everything is moving in accordance to its own karma and all of the different phrases that we can use to impart equanimity, you actually see those, see the truth of that. Now, uh, that would be a rather 
I think would be a rather um, innocuous place to be, so untouched place to be where everything's perfect and you're, you have kind of an apathy. But thank God there's a heart in this thing. And as we get closer uh, to that zero point, you do see the perfection, but at the same time, your heart is touched by the pain of life, including one's own pain and the pain of others. And the heart refuses apathy, refuses it. It's not even a question, not, a, not even considered. And it seems paradoxical that at the moment you see this perfection, you're working effortlessly and endlessly towards the resolution of the pain that is part of that perfection. And the meeting of that perfection and pain in that moment is equanimity. Not just the perfection and not the romanticism and idealism of the pain. How terrible it is, how awful that people hurt. It's not like that. And how to balance the paradox of that because it's one of many paradoxes that will come to us in the course of our spiritual practice. The paradox of the perfection, and sometimes you can get a sense of that, that, you know, as the wind blows and as the, everything, it's just, there's a, just a perfection in life, and at the same time, the heart is activated when it perceives pain. And that seems paradoxical, that there could be this uh, this tapestry of life seen so clearly and yet at the same time the details within that tapestry are uh, one's whole life is at service to those details. And it's important to kind of understand that walking those paradoxes is the path of spirituality. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, if you have an opinion that life is perfect and therefore we shouldn't respond to pain, then you are hiding behind a kind of story about the perfection, right? Or if you don't see the perfection but you see the pain and you have a story about how awful it is that people are in pain, then you're hiding behind that story. Anytime you assume a story, you assume one half of the paradox. You weigh in through, your, through our opinions on the, the, what the paradox is really about, what life is really about. When we're quiet, when we're at the still point, you let the whole mechanism, you just turn your life over to that still point. And that still point works effortlessly to relieve suffering and it sees the perfection of that suffering in the same moment, and it weighs in on neither equation. As soon as you weigh in, you're out of that paradox, you've taken a side to it, and you are no longer within the equanimous state. When we're quiet, the equanimous state works through us. The equanimous state is an abiding state. It's not a place where we go to be equanimous. And that abiding state has no opinion one way or other about what it's doing. It just does it. It works towards its, the resolution and at the same time sees the perfection. And that's, that's an important understanding to have. Now, uh, 
what do I, the, the training associated with this is that first we have to live without uh, creating um, friction with any part of life just to see the perfection. And so the training that I would suggest, if this is, if this particular angle of equanimity appeals to you, is to say yes to your all experiences. You just absolutely don't put anything between yourself and the experience. You yes means that you are not creating any tension whatsoever with anything that's arising in your life. And when you don't create any tension, you'll find that you have no opinions about it. There, it won't be, it's not that, you, that thought doesn't continue on, but it's as if you don't abide in that thinking as the truth about the situation. And so that simple, okay, let me just try that. And as you walk through it, be sure that you don't put or place an apathetic response when you start seeing more and more perfectly the nature of life, that you don't put an apathetic response between you and what you see, because that will take you and distance you from your heart. And you'll find that you will be moved by pain, you'll move right into pain, your responses will be in accordance with what is necessary to alleviate that pain, if it is to be alleviated, and at the same time, you will have no resistance to anything, including the continuation of that pain, if it so happens that that's the fact of the moment. So, take it on. See. Use these trainings. These trainings are ways to discover and to inquire into that zero point, so that we can get that perception for ourselves. Now, another way that equanimity is spoken about frequently is that it's talking about a balanced mind, a mind that is balanced. Now, that's not a watchful balance. It's an abiding balance where no sides are taken. So, this sense of equanimity as being balanced, balanced is equal distribution of weight. When weight is equally distributed, it is balanced. And when something is balanced, nothing needs to be added and nothing is in excess at all. It's perfectly balanced. Perfectly balanced. There's a term I remember, I think I remember in uh, science called homeostasis, which is when anything is out of balance, if nothing, if there are no pressures applied to that imbalance, then everything will naturally come back into balance by on its own. All of nature, when left alone, will come back into balance. I may be wrong on my definition of homeostasis, but I believe that's what I remember it to be. Now, how can we apply homeostasis to our, our mind? So that just using that fundamental nature, law of nature, that says that 
anything left on its own, that means not adding any pressure or any judgment or opinion or weighing in on it or at all, when left on its own will come back into an equanimous, balanced state. And you can see, that's what we try to do in the meditation practice. The point of the meditation practice is not to come in and judge or weigh in on anything that the mind is doing for that 40 minutes that we are sitting. And what we will find is that the mind comes into balance. That is, if we don't think our way through those 40 minutes, or if we don't emotionally react during those 40 minutes to everything that's coming on, and what is that state of balance? That state of balance is a state of equanimity. It's a state in which all things are seen for what they are, and they're oftentimes it's seen within a kind of a, a degree of calm and tranquility and ease where nothing is made of it. But as soon as we wake up out of that thing, we come out of our homeostatic quality and we start asserting certain leverages on that experience we're having and we're out of, we're out of balance. So my training to you or my offer to you is to see if you can't find that state of balance, homeostasis, in your meditation practice where you're not you're not doing anything to what's arising in the course of the meditation do not do nothing to your mind do nothing leave your mind alone <laughs> it's like what your mother told you to do to your little sister just leave her alone <laughs> she'll grow up nicely without your help <laughs> so, let's see. Take it on. Give yourself that task, that uh, intention. Let me just see whether I can achieve a balanced mind. What does a balanced mind look like, even? You see? And as soon as I assert an opinion, I weigh in on something, I see that I'm leaning into it. That's not balanced, so that's not it. And what we'll do is we'll find almost somatically what balance feels like by, by knowing what out of balance feels like when we're imbalanced. You, you feel it. You feel. And if you get more and more attuned to the state of balance and what it feels like to be balanced, you will more easily release those areas when you're out of balance. And you'll come back into a state of equanimity, a state of balancedness. You're in the uh, grocery line and there are you know, two carts ahead of you on this line and four carts. So you chose the two carts, except that two cart can't find her checkbook. And she takes four or five carts times. And you go, God, why did I ever get in that? No. That's <laughs> That's not the, all right, just release that tension. Just re come back, just don't do anything to that. And let it come back into its normal, it'll start way up like this. And what we usually try to do is to push this side way back up so it can be, no, just let it come, just watch when you're not forcing or investing anything into that out of balance situation, it will, it will start coming back into balance. Just start watching the mind's homeostatic response. 
So you want to take that on. Take that on as a, as a training for yourself. I'm just giving you guidelines on a holiday season that you're going to need something. <laughs> I hope you... <laughs> I hope you... <laughs> so, uh, I've also talked about um, uh, equanimity as being uh, the, the absence of the sense of me. When I'm present, it means that I'm not being equanimous because equanimity uh, doesn't uh, hold opinionation. And if I'm here as an embodied sense of me, I'm, what embodies me are my opinions, are my views, are my reactions. And so another way to work with equanimity is to see how it is that we can lessen or release or surrender the sense of self uh, back to the space to which it deserves, back, get, let it go home again. It's also part of that, it's the same as the homeostasis principle. You don't do something to the sense of self to get rid of it, you just don't feed it with its opinions. And as this sense of self isn't fed with its opinions, you'll see that the whole thing gets very light and spacious. And the reason that we come back with an opinion is to have a place within that spaciousness so that we can claim our full body representation and our full empowerment within that opinion. You see? So we keep asserting opinions to have a placeholder called me. But what if we just let that placeholder called me opinion itself out? I think this and I think that and you and that and then. What if we just what if we just didn't, weren't so convinced in its truth, just, just be quiet with it a little bit. Instead of, you just, it's just amazing, isn't it, how much we assert a view into everything we do in order to have some position in relationship to everything we do. And if it, the position, well, it comes from, not, if I'm not judging myself, I'll judge you. And that gives me a position. You can feel it, can't you? You can feel where we get our weight, our weightedness as me, is through the assertion of what I am compared to what you aren't. And that gives me a, that gives me a sense of, of weight. Now, if, what if we just didn't do anything with that? You see, what if we just allowed that weight to lift? We took it on as a Okay, let's just see this thing. Let's just see this a little bit. And as we get quieter, the whole thing breaks down. You know, when, when there's a thought and an emotion and an attitude and, a, you know, and the future and a past and the whole story of the whole thing is embodied, it gets it's so encrusted, it gets so real. And if we just get quieter, that reality that we gave that bundled, bundled piece, perceptions and consciousness is called the aggregates, they bundle themselves together as me, we just get quieter, this thing starts falling apart piecemeal. It's like, what, what am I, what, what, it's where, it's, there's a thought, there's an emotion, there's space, there's an attitude, there's a thought, there's past, there's a memory, 
where, where, how does all that arise into a convicted sense of someone, you see? So allowing yourself to get quiet with the process begins to take that process apart so that you can begin to see through it. And then it comes into homeostasis where it doesn't arise because there's no investment in it arising. There's no investment in the view that would create itself around it. So that's a training for you. I'm giving you a lot of tools, a lot of tools. So now, uh, the, my most, my favorite aspect or um, quality of equanimity is what I've already spoken about a little bit, but I just want to run the clock out on this particular quality, and that's uh, the quality of space itself. You know, uh, w as we become less invested in the experiences and movements and the content of our life, less invested in and holding to each and every leverage point along the way as being the sole reason I live, um, and the sole point and purpose of, you know, when you just relax a little bit with it and let it spread out, let it have some space to it, you know, let it, let it spread out, let it not be so, uh, such an isolated subject and object relationship. As it just begins to spread out, as it gets lighter, as it gets quieter with things. Space forms around each of these, this content that we held to and, or fought with so desperately for such a long period of time. That, that's the silent night, the holy night. And you I mean, it, it involves all the things we've talked about tonight. It involves stillness. It involves balance. It involves um, non-reaction. It involves non-movement. But as long as I invest so particular with such a, represented in each content, each piece, of the puzzle, I'm just in movement to that piece. I have to do something about it, I have to overcome it, I have a problem with it. And with that kind of tension relationship with the pieces, the puzzles miss completely, the tapestry is gone. And so I just invite space into my life. And the training that I would um, suggest if you're interested in this aspect is to uh, see that you are not what happens, you are the space in what happens. You are the space in which it happens, excuse me. You are not what happens, you are the space in which it happens. So I said, what does he mean by that? Well, see, look, these are pointings, these are trainings. Incline your mind to that. What if I just relaxed with this? 
What if I just settled with this? What if I just release the tension? You see, everything we're talking about, what, one of the, one of the, my fear of giving you all these trainings tonight, I remember when I was first taking yoga, and somebody, the, you know, the corpse position, right? The, at the end of all the yoga, you get into the corpse, it used to be called the sponge position, but it, the corpse position, where it's supposed to be a position of relaxation. But the teacher that I had was so, wanted me to get the posture right, that, you know, I couldn't have a bow in my back and my neck had to be extended and I wasn't looking relaxed and he, you know. So they, she kept talking to the class and every time she would say something, I would put more stress and tension into that posture and I never did get relaxed. That's my fear of giving you these trainings because at the heart of all of this is to relax. It's the corpse position. Because we're, we're making, we're conjuring up this relationship moment after moment. We're conjuring up our, our struggles and conflicts with content moment after moment. And that takes its toll in stress and tension. And if we start where it's taking its toll, we will come to every aspect of the talk this evening in ease. Perceptually relax. Don't just let yourself physically relax, but psychically relax. Relax how the mind holds the objects individually. Just relax with it. See equally the space that surrounds the object. You see? And then, and then, may we all find our way to equanimity. Can we just sit for a moment or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.